going to read to you the first eight verses of Psalm 65 as our Old Testament reading before we turn to Romans 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Amen. Now, Romans chapter 1, because we ended in the middle of a sentence last week, I'm going to start back at the beginning of the chapter uh, and read verses uh, 1 through 15. Uh, But the text for today, we'll pick up with verse 5. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. Amen. You may be seated. In chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Jesus says to the apostles, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That vision of an expanding gospel mission, and those outward-moving sort of concentric circles uh, centered on Jerusalem, 
That, as you may recall, really sets the agenda for the whole book of Acts, which ends, by the way, where? It ends in the city of Rome, right? And when we talked about this before, I've tried to impress on us, where are we? Where is Resurrection OPC? In that uh, picture Jesus is giving of that outward movement. We have to remember, we are not at the center of that circle. We are in the outer circle. We are the ends of the earth, in a very real sense. Uh, The gospel message, think about this, the gospel message has made it all the way to us. Can you believe it? It's broken through so many barriers. It's endured through so many centuries. It's passed through so many hands. And now here we are. It's an awesome thought. And that, I think, is a helpful entry point for thinking about the church in Rome that originally received this letter from the Apostle Paul. Because there they were, living at the, the political and cultural center of their world. And yet they, too, were really in that outer circle of the, the spread of the gospel. The gospel had made it all the way to them. And now Paul is seeking to do his part in service to Christ to build up this, this church and to help them, help them to grow into the kind of Christian community that Christ is calling them to be. And so as he continues to introduce uh, his letter and kind of himself to these people, he, he's going to give them some insight into, um, first, the purpose of his ministry kind of in general, and into a particular plan for visiting Rome that's been for some time on his mind. And finally, uh, into Rome's place in Paul's understanding of his mission. So those are going to be our three points this morning. First, the purpose of Paul's ministry, just verse 5. Second, the plan on Paul's mind, verses 6 through 12. And third, Rome's place in Paul's mission, verses 13 to 15. Okay, so first, the purpose of Paul's ministry. We're picking up here in the middle of a long sentence, as I mentioned. Paul's referring in verse 5 to the resurrected Christ, the Son of God in power, when he says, through whom, that's through him, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. Paul is saying his personal salvation and also his office as an apostle, they both come from Jesus. Um, And so he has not taken this mission upon himself. He hasn't made himself an apostle. He has been given a mission by Christ. And that mission has one overriding purpose. It is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Okay, so that phrase, obedience of faith, is very important. And it might raise some questions in your mind about what exactly is Paul talking about here? What is the obedience of faith? Um, You know, so much of Romans is going to be about how salvation comes through faith alone, not through our obedience, not through our efforts to obey God. It's this distinction that's important to make between faith and obedience. They're not exactly the same thing. Um, we're, we're very used to thinking in terms of that contrast um, because we place, rightly, a very high value on that Reformation doctrine that we get from Paul, justification by faith alone, right? 
Not by works, apart from the works of the law. And so it's the idea that God accepts us and forgives us because of what he has done for us, not because of what we have done for him. It's, it's very important. And it's this very letter that teaches us in that uh, truth in some of the most in some of the clearest ways in the whole Bible. <clears throat> of course, we also know that faith and obedience are not opposites. That's a wrong way of thinking. Faith and obedience are not opposites. They're not the same thing, but they're not opposites. Quite the contrary, because in the book of Romans, uh, starting particularly in chapter 6, Paul's main theme is going to be that obedience that flows out of belonging to Christ. In other words, a, a true living faith always results in obedience to God, right? Okay, so backing up, some people explain this phrase, the obedience of faith, by saying, well, faith, in a sense, is a kind of obedience. It's obeying the call of the gospel. Um, the gospel, uh, it's true, always comes with a command to believe it. When the gospel is proclaimed, we are commanded to believe it, to receive it. Um, Think about the command, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's an imperative. It's a command. Um, Jesus' own message in his earthly ministry when he preached was, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's Jesus' message. And that's a command. It's not, it's not optional, in other words. Not everybody does it, of course. Not everybody obeys. But um, that call to faith is a command that we ought to obey. And, and um, in Romans 10, uh, verse 16, Paul is going to say, not everyone has obeyed the gospel. He uses that phrase, obeying the gospel. Now, I would say, and in this verse, obedience, uh, this phrase, the obedience of faith, I would say that what I've just described, I think it would be fair to say that's part of what Paul has in mind. I, d- I don't think it's all that Paul has in mind. I think that Paul is talking here about the big picture, the biggest picture of the purpose of his mission. He's he's talking here about the full mature fruit, the end goal of his mission and of all missions. Um, I think it's really helpful here to think in terms of the great commission of the Lord Jesus, which we read earlier because it's the words of institution for baptism. Um, Jesus, you remember, does not say... Go and make converts. Just just get people in the door of salvation so that they won't go to hell. No, that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is go make disciples of all nations. It's a very different thing. Baptize them, he says, and teach them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. All that I've commanded you. That's part of the mission of the church, teaching and people, all that Christ has commanded. And so the mission of the church is not just to get people to believe in Jesus, to make that, uh, make kind of a momentary decision at the beginning of a Christian life. The goal, the mission of the church is to make people disciples, obedient disciples of Jesus who have committed their lives to him, who belong to him, body and soul, in life and in death. And you can see this um, in Paul's ministry, um, in Acts chapter 20, for example, when he tells the Ephesian church, looking back over his, his, his years of living and serving among them, he says, during all that time, I didn't shrink from declaring to you 
the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. Not just how you could, quote-unquote, get saved, but everything that it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so Paul's goal in his mission among the Gentiles, the purpose of his ministry, was to bring about the obedience of faith, to teach and encourage people to grow up into full maturity, to become grown-up believers who obey Jesus because they believe in him. It's the obedience that flows from faith. Uh, And that starts with simply obeying the call of the gospel in the first place, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that simple faith alone that connects us to Christ. It's through faith alone, that simple reliance on Jesus, that God forgives us, that God accepts us, that God calls us righteous children of God. But that simple faith that relies on Jesus also has this counterpart, this consequence. We are, at the same time, and and in that very act, we are devoting ourselves to him. We're, We're submitting our whole selves to his rule, his lordship. We're we're trusting him to rescue us. Yes, we are also trusting him from now on to rule us, trusting Christ to rule over you. Okay, so this is the purpose of Paul's ministry. And this has a couple important implications for us. Uh, First of all, it has a direct application for our work of evangelism and missions. I've already touched on this. Uh, Again, some people see the goal of evangelism as getting non-Christians by any means possible to maybe say the sinner's prayer, to maybe make a decision for Jesus. In other words, it's to get their foot in the door, to work for that initial decision to, to save people from hell and get them into the kingdom. That's not the mission that Christ gave to his church. simply isn't. And it's not the mission that Paul was interested in carrying out. Our mission in outreach and evangelism and missions, whether that's here at home, whether that's with our friends and neighbors, whether it's in foreign missions, our mission is to make disciples. It's to bring about the obedience of faith. That's what we're aiming at. Not that we expect that at the outset of the first conversation to have people all of a sudden become fully mature, but that's the objective. It's what we're aiming for. We're aiming not at what's right in front of our nose. We're aiming at something in the distance in God's plan to teach people the whole counsel of God, all that Christ has commanded, so that they can become mature followers of King Jesus under his rule their whole lives. Um, the obedience of faith, that's the goal. Uh, but this is not just a lesson for reaching those people out there. There is a lesson here simply for the Christian life. Let's leave aside the question of people who don't know Jesus yet and need to, which we've just been talking about. I want you to think about yourself. Yourself as the target of this mission. Yourself as the person who needs to know this Jesus Paul proclaimed. Paul's mission to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations You are the object of that mission. We are the object of that mission. Our obedience, our discipleship, our submission to the Lordship of Christ. That's that was that was we are part of this goal of Paul's. 
We are a part of the purpose of Paul's ministry. And as we read the letter to the Romans, that mission of Paul is making its impact still these centuries later upon us as he is working still in writing through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us. To bring about in us the obedience of faith. And so when you think about what it means for you to be a Christian, remember that Christ has called you not just to make a one-time decision, not just to kind of accept um, in your mental framework a certain set of beliefs which then make no impact on your life. Oh, I've, I've dealt with that already. No. He's called you to submit your whole self to his will, to his kingship over you. He's called you, in other words, to the obedience of faith. And, and the church, you should think of as the place that God has put you to live that out, uh, to help you to live that out. Um, the church's goal, the purpose of my pastoral ministry, the, the purpose of resurrections, um, uh, the mission of resurrection of our, our broader church is to bring about this obedience of faith. And this is a place for us to learn and to commit ourselves together and to help one another along the way towards doing the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, just like we pray for, right? And we're doing that. Why? Well, we're doing it, I love this, for the sake of Christ's name. I love the way he says that uh, he's received the, his, this apostleship, he's received this mission from, uh, through Christ, and then he carries it out for the sake of his name, beginning and ending with Jesus. And that uh, phrase, for the sake of his name, uh, if you re- kind of rephrase the possessive in your mind, it sounds a lot like Psalm 23. Think of the phrase, for his name's sake, right? Psalm 23, that's why the way that the, our good shepherd leads us in his paths of righteousness, right? It's for his name's sake. That's the same thing that Paul's doing. He's, he's seeking to bring about the obedience of faith for his name's sake, Christ's name's sake. Okay, that's the purpose of Paul's ministry in general. Of course, Paul's not writing um, generically to just anybody and anybody everywhere, anywhere. He is writing here to a particular church. And in verse 6, he kind of turns that corner from the general to the specific. This is my purpose among all the nations, and that includes you Romans in particular. You in particular are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You in particular are loved by God, called to be saints, God's, God's holy ones, in other words. It's to these Christians in particular that Paul gives his greeting of grace and peace. Um, and I'm not going to belabor explaining that greeting at length because I've explained it before when we've studied other letters of Paul. But I would just invite you to think about how that grace and peace greeting, the same one we use at the beginning of every worship service, right? Um, how it... Uh, how that dynamic of grace and peace plays out in the book of Romans, particularly. Think about chapter 5. There's that major turning point, chapter 5, verse 1. Looking back on the grace of God and his gift of forgiveness and righteousness um, through faith alone. And then it says, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and and peace. These themes that are going to be playing out through the book of Romans. Now, remember, uh, Paul has never been to Rome. Um, he did not plant this church. He has never preached there. 
And so um, he wants to reassure them as he begins here that, that he cares about them in a personal way, that he's thankful for them, that, that he has heard about their strong reputation of, of, uh, uh, the, their, of their faith in Christ. Um, he's been praying for them regularly. Um, and in fact, for a long time, he says he's wanted to come and visit them, but it hasn't worked out yet. Um, apparently, here at the end of his third missionary journey, uh, Paul has already been thinking, of, okay, where do I want to go next? What's going to be the next? What's going to be the fourth missionary journey? Um, and uh, we get a little more insight about this in chapter 15, how after going to Jerusalem, Paul's plan was to try to undertake his longest missionary journey of all um, to Spain, all the way to the west. You think about the map, whoa, Spain would have been um, way past Italy, past Rome, on, on the way away from uh, Jerusalem. If, and so if he did that, then he would have wanted to stop over in Rome, and the Roman church would be able to help him to prepare for that important new missionary work further to the west. Now, all of those plans ended up changing. Of course, when Paul got arrested, um, it was not God's providential plan for Paul to go to Rome as a free man on his way to Spain. Although, ironically, Paul, God did bring Paul to Rome, didn't he? Just under very different circumstances than he was envisioning. And yet the Lord answered this persistent prayer of his that he would at last succeed in coming to them. Yeah, man, man proposes, God disposes, right? Well, anyway, I long to see you, Paul says, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. In other words, Paul wants the Holy Spirit to use him to encourage, to build up the Roman church as he's done in so many other churches through, through Paul's ministry. Uh, but Paul also recognizes, verse 12, that this won't just be a blessing to the Romans, it's going to be a blessing for him. Um, sometimes we can, uh, there's, there's kind of two ditches we can fall into. One is to arrogantly start to picture ourselves as God's greatest gift to the church and to see ourselves as kind of indispensable. Oh, God's people really need me and what I have to offer. Uh, and... and um, we can, if we start to see only the way other people need us and our gifts and our strengths, then we can lack the humility to see the way that we need others. Paul is very clear here. He sees that he needs the Roman Christians as much as they need him. Um, on the other hand, sometimes we fall in the other ditch and all we can see is our need. And we can forget that we are God's gift to other Christians we say that with humility, but we are. Sometimes it takes humility to admit that, that yes, God has a job for me to be a blessing, that I am indispensable to my brothers and sisters and I can't check out and not kind of interact with, like, not engage with them because they need me as I need them because we're one body, we're members of one another. And so um, we, we need to... Um, uh, not see only our needs, but but also to embrace and, and, and embrace that idea and look for ways to be that encouragement, to be that strength that the people around us need, and that God has equipped us uniquely and called us uniquely to be as our place, our irreplaceable place in that body of believers. Um, okay, Paul goes on, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I think you can kind of imagine a little bit of a playful smile 
on Paul's face as he says this. Um, God's given me a chance to be part of his work in a lot of different places, but never among you. Never among you. And I'm excited about the possibility of, of getting to gather some gospel fruit in this orchard of the Lord when I come to visit you. And we're getting here at the last point, which is Rome's place in Paul's mission. Remember how Jesus said in John 10, I have other sheep who are not of this fold, uh, this fold of Israel. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That was Jesus' plan, and Paul is living that plan out. Paul is motivated by this really, if you think about it, really thrilling prospect of being part of that work of Jesus, of going and gathering new people from new places and helping them to be part of that one work that Jesus Christ is doing all over the world, that one salvation that's for every tribe and tongue and nation. There, uh, and there are no limits in Paul's mind to what kind of person he ought to be reaching with the gospel of Christ. You can say Paul is an equal opportunity gospel proclaimer. All kinds of people, Paul says. I'm under obligation to, Jew- to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise, to the foolish. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter your language, your level of education, your station in life. Paul's heart is, I, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know the saving power of the gospel, and I want to see the obedience of faith coming out of your heart. And so after laying out his Christ-directed priorities that shape his entire life and work, Paul says, Church in Rome, I want you to catch this vision. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also. And a great part of his purpose in this letter, of course, is to explain to him, explain to them what he means by the gospel, uh, both, both so that they will understand it and embrace it themselves, and so that they will get excited about joining with him in extending it to new unreached points beyond. Okay, so as we study this letter of Romans together, I want us to try to think what attitude, what kind of uh, receptive heart would Paul have wanted to see in these Christians reading this letter when he first sent it, these people in Rome? And how can we then seek to receive the message that Christ is sending us through his servant Paul as we read this same letter today? Because just like Paul wanted the Roman Christians to catch his vision for the gospel and for extending it to the nations. I think he would be very pleased. I think that Christ will be pleased for us to catch that vision too. To remember, first of all, that we are a part of it, that we are an extension of this same mission of Paul. We are the ends of the earth. And we should desire that by this letter, Christ might reap a harvest among us. And then that he would equip us to extend it even further. So may the Lord bring about the obedience of faith for his name's sake among all the nations, including us, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, We praise you for the mighty work of the Lord Jesus Christ, risen and ascended through the power of the Holy Spirit poured out upon his church. 
to extend his good news to the ends of the earth. Thank you for making us part of that mission of Jesus. Thank you that we have been enfolded into the kingdom of God. That um, gospel fruit is being gathered from this orchard. And we pray that it would grow strong and plentiful. You would bring in other sheep who are not yet gathered into the fold. More fruits that are yet to grow on the tree, Lord. Help us to catch this vision for embracing this gospel and extending it to others so that you might work in us the obedience of faith for your name's sake. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.